Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to video number 74 and audio season 4 episode 3 of Music is Not a Genre. As always, thank you to everybody who is watching out there or if you are just listening, uh, anybody who's reading the text and clicking all the links that I put down there, if you're sharing it with people or posting it anywhere, reposting, I love you for that. If you are a member of my Patreon family, love you even more. Uh, If you would like to know more about anything that I do, uh, here are a couple places you can check out. It's youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo, uh, D-E-M-A-T-T-E-O, in case you don't know. Uh, You can go to anchor.fm slash music is not a genre, and all of the audio episodes are there, and there's an opportunity to support me. Any dollar number, uh, any cent number, all of it helps, and uh, just you being here helps. Patreon.com slash music is not a genre, is uh, my main hub where you get not only what you are seeing or hearing here, but much, much more than that. And you get a say in what future episodes might be about, including books and movies and television shows related to music. Anybody I maybe should interview, artists and bands and albums and even single songs or types of music or eras that I should highlight, please Join me on Patreon. You get an opportunity to tell me what I should do. Uh, Maybe not next, you know, but sometime in the future. Let's get to this week's episode. The title is The Hives. Sweden fucking rules because it supports its artists. And this episode is uh, kind of a bifurcated episode in a way. When I do these... You know, when I started way back, this was even during the, the blogging days, but, but at the beginning of the video days, uh, my main ob- objective w- in writing this out, and as you see here, video people, I have notes. These are shortened notes from the actual text that I put uh, underneath on uh, various portals that I mentioned. It was to really just talk about the music. And, uh, you know, put it in context or throw something new in there and how it influenced me and my music and my band Rex music and all of that. As this developed, I started to throw more, uh, more information in, but more issues in and, and would often craft episodes around not just the music, but use the music as a jumping off point to talk about an issue. And that is absolutely the case with this week's topic here. And uh, let me start by seeing how good your recall is for certain bands and see if you can tell me what they have in common. I think I've already given it away with the title, but you know what? 
Maybe you forgot already. So here we go. Uh, have you, do you remember the band Roxette or Ace of Bass? How about the Cardigans? How about the late, great DJ Avicii? Robin. That's Robin with a Y. Huge international star. Uh, how about, oh, I don't know, ABBA. What do these names have in common? Well, they're all musicians, but they're all, yes, from Sweden. And so are Icona Pop, uh, Eagle Eye Cherry. I had to look that one up because son of Don Cherry, famous, you know, uh, jazz artist, and, and I think related to Nana Cherry and all of that. I was like, Swedish? But I think they lived in Sweden, so that was why. Uh, Peter, Bjorn, and John, an indie band which has kind of a throwback sound. I don't know what they've done recently, but I recommend looking them up because they're kind of cool. Swedish House Mafia, who is opening some festival this month. Uh, I think this weekend in the States. I can't remember where. Uh, and, of course, this week's subject, The Hives. And many, 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 many more. I really only limited it to... Uh, I tried to, you know, throw in different types of music and everything, but limited it to, I guess, the more popular bands and artists. And, you know, I could just talk about the Hives as a band. They're worthy of that. I love them. There are many reasons why they deserve this episode and even a standalone episode that has no issue to it. But, and I think they might even agree, it's important to put the origin of their music in context. And yes, the origin, number one, is they're from Sweden, right? They started, uh, one source says 1993, another says even earlier than that. Uh, their first album didn't come out till 1997, but, you know, that's, that was their part of their trajectory. They benefited from growing up in Sweden, from being Swedish as musicians, and, and you know, I'm going to explain why in a second, let me connect it to where we are now. And I know that I have listeners all across the world, but most of my listeners are here in the U.S. And so I'm kind of directing, I'm directing this to everybody, but, but particularly the people in the United States. We may not be aware of this because we're a very multicultural um, uh, country, and, and even more so now than we've ever been. And we're giant. We're a big country. We're not, you know, we're not the biggest, but we're big. We are very insular. We pay most of our attention to ourselves, to the things that we create, to our citizens, the things our citizens create. We pay much more attention to any type of art or media that is generated here in the States than anywhere else. And in fact, Historically, and I think this is still largely true, less true because of the, you know, the internet, and, but even then, still very, very true, any, any arts, artists or anything like that that breaks through to popularity in, in the States, you know, we'll pay attention to. If it doesn't, if it's someone who has sold millions of records in another country, even in other English-speaking countries, Chances are we don't know them. Chances are we've never heard of them. And yes, that's partly because just the the nature of the beast is we, you know, the media that we have here, we pay attention to 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 our own country and our own culture. 
but it's also because we are such an insular group here, even though there are so many different cities and areas in the country that are crossroads uh, for the world, here, here in New York being one of them, that we don't really seek out music from other countries very much. I, you know, one of the things I wrote in uh, the text below, I believe I left it in, I actually don't remember, because it's not in the notes here, is that uh, if, if the Beatles had never broken in the States, a small handful of us might remember them as a British phenomenon that had a bunch of hits over there and, you know, went on to a long career playing tribute. You know, I, I, I don't know. But the, the point being, they became a world sensation because they broke out of Britain and they became a U.S. sensation because they broke into the U.S. And it's, it's been pretty much uh, the conventional wisdom that that's what you have to do if you're from another country. If you really want to break big, you come here. Now, the opposite is true, too. There are many, many bands who are from the States who either were once popular and aren't popular anymore or who never really were popular, who have found a much greater and more receptive audience in other countries. Uh, and this is not what this episode is about, so I haven't made a list of those bands, but you can. Uh, a good friend of mine just wrote a book on the band Asia, and that's a perfect example. There, you know, you hear them, if you know them at all, you think 80s hits. True. But they've had an extremely long career, decades long, and at a certain point dropped to zero popularity here, still had quite a bit of popularity in other countries. And that's just one of, you know, a thousand examples, probably. And, you know, even though, like I said, more multicultural stuff is is bleeding through here, it's, it's a shame that we don't hear more of what's out there. And now more than ever, we have the ability to do that. We can look it up, you know, with a few uh, keystrokes, you know, easy. You know, freaking Google it. Go on YouTube. Go anywhere, really, even Spotify. Spotify, I will tell you, and, 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 and streaming services like that are imperfect for many reasons, not just because they don't pay artists a lot, and that's partly what this bifurcated episode is about, but it also because you won't be able to find all, you will only really find in America, Spotify, things that were released and cleared rights-wise in America. So there are a lot of things that you can't find on there. But, you know, chances are, if you're just dipping your toe in international waters, you will probably find something, if not there, then absolutely YouTube, other places like that. And there is a, there's another big uh, aspect of... America that I think ties directly into what I'm talking about today, and that is that we are so insular that we assume that our culture is a reflection of how other cultures operate. And even though we might think of certain aspects of those other cultures as different or foreign or, uh, you know, qualitatively different in other ways, 
we think, well, generally it kind of works the same. Now, if you're paying attention to anything in the news at all, whether it has to do with uh, vaccines or healthcare or uh, you know, uh, taxes and uh, the, the support of the elderly, the, the, the how, to, how teachers are paid or how veterans are treated or uh, how racism is handled. Or I mean, I can go on and on and on. You will pretty much be aware of the fact that although there is no such thing as a perfect country, there are other countries that handle those things way better than we do. And one, you know, one of those things is the arts. America, for better or worse, is built on winner-takes-all competition. If you are deemed a winner, you get more. If you want to make money, you should probably have money to begin with. If you want to earn more money, you should have already made money. The, the acts, the artists who make the most money also get the most money, both from the world and from the companies and, and other you know, uh, businesses that want them to advertise and things like that. If you are not well known and not making a whole lot of money, you will not get any of that or much of that. It's, that's, just, that's just how it is. You succeed if you're already successful. And that, that doesn't mean that there aren't other versions of success. There are the artistic success or success within smaller communities and, and different things. You have your benchmark for what you consider success. But when I'm, I'm talking about fame and popularity and, and recognition and those kind of levels of success, the support you get is, is directly correlates to the amount of success that you've already had. And in fact, and this is something that's gotten worse over the decades, the, you know, I've been around for quite a long time and pursuing, you know, and, 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 and developing, uh, you know, in the music world. And when I started, it was the age when you sent in a demo and if a, a record company, which were the only people you worked with, liked you, then they would consider developing you into an artist that they could sell. And that was called an artist development deal. It was a pretty standard thing for decades. Towards the 70s, 80s, absolutely through the 90s, and any time after that, that was phased out in favor of, well, if you're a mega-selling band, we're going to put our money behind you because we already know that you're, you're bankable. And artist development deals kind of fell by the wayside. And then when the internet came and streaming and all of that, uh, record companies scrambling, as wonderful as it's been for access to music and for releasing your own music into the world, it's been terrible for developing artists, for finding ways to bring more uh, unknown artists into the fold. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a myth that the, the internet finds ways to make more unpopular people popular. That's, that's you know, the, the aggregation of numbers based on how streaming services work and social media work uh, is as biased as the record companies eventually became, as the system in general uh, is. So, and, and, 
that yes is certainly that's a world issue but i would say that in 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 many countries but particularly in america because uh you know i'm american i know it best your success is based on your previous success i can't tell you how many times uh i've i've been told as an artist and other artists have t- said this to me as well that you uh you have to come already packaged already ready to go already having had a presence it doesn't really matter to a certain degree what you have to offer as a talent whatever that talent may be even if you're multi-talented you you won't really unless you get you have some kind of an in or a connection or a seriously lucky break you will not be paid attention to unless you've already had attention paid to you it's that wonderful catch 22 and that is reflected in how the united states supports the arts which is hardly at all when funding is cut for schools things like that often the arts are the things to go first uh we often have to rely as artists on generous benefactors to support what we do whether those are individuals or organizations in some way nonprofits and they often don't have a ton of money to begin with and the competition to get that money is 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 pretty difficult so and and as far as government funding again one of the first things usually to get cut when government budgets are cut is funding for the arts and that funding is often given to other organizations that are already up and running like museums and things like that it's not the type of thing that i'm about to talk about here which is that sweden decades ago started something called the swedish arts council and i think i learned about this a couple of decades ago honestly and i i don't know what the state of it is now i know it's ch- certainly changed over the decades and i'm sure it's also an imperfect body but its whole reason for existence is to give artists money to do their work and this brings up a couple of points first of all it it brings up the fact that a country like sweden actively supports the arts and artists and not just uh you know non-governmental organizations whatever whatever the government itself the actual country of sweden actively supports the arts and artists and the way they do it or have done it in the past and with the hives being an example is if they you know i guess there's a there's some kind of a judgment process and if they judge that you're you know worthy of this help you get money to live you get money to do to be able to do nothing but your art so you're putting your your time and effort and heart and soul and probably some of that money into developing your art whatever it may be not you know undistracted by all the things that we are used to and uh let's you know let me list some of those like the artists i know tend to need multiple jobs to survive or one massively consuming an exhausting day job and somehow find the time and energy to create and develop your art to a point where it is you know worthy of american attention or however you want to put it 
it's a, that's a very div- divided way to pursue a life. And we have been told that, well, that's just the way you do it. You're supposed to be a struggling artist, maybe live in your parents' basement or whatever it is, or have all of these jobs, or do some other non-art thing in order to do your art. And that's just fact. But it's fact that has been handed down to us by the same people that hoard all of the money at the top of their companies or within the government or wherever else, which is we're not going to give money to people who, you know, who don't, who they think don't deserve it. If you are, the the haves keep the money, the have-nots get a considerably less amount. And this, this has permeated the way we pursue art and has made us think, well, we're martyrs. We're martyrs for the cause. We have to struggle in order for great art to be created. Another bullshit myth handed down to us. It's been shown, and this is a side issue, but I want to bring it up, that even before all of this, and even in just the world at large, the idea that an artist needs to suffer to create great art, whether it's through depression or alcoholism or drug abuse or some other you know, type of a, a abuse or having been abused or whatever it is, uh, has been shown like through studies and all of that, that is just not true. That those, even those artists, when they created their greatest works, it was, a, it was during a period of lucidity and clarity. And that when they were in the throes of depression or in some other form of suffering, uh, you know, drug abuse or anything like that, they were unable to do what it is they we're trying to do a perfect example being, uh, and I can't remember how this, this tied into something I was, I was looking at recently, Jim Morrison and the doors were just amazing out of the gate. And the people who knew him were like, he's just a creative force. And we think of him as this, you know, troubled artist, um, you know, deep into alcohol and all of that whose art came from that. Well, the truth is that the more he drank, the worse all of that got. And the harder it was for him to do what he did well to the point that it killed him. And so I think that ties into the idea that the only way that we can make a living as artists is to make a living another way. And, and believe me when I say, believe me when I say, it's a very, 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 very small percentage of arts, artists of any kind, actors, painters, dancers, singers, whatever, who are making a living doing what they're doing. You may lump in some of those uh, people who create their own art but are, but are making most of their money uh, doing other people's art. So perfect example, being in a cover band, making more money doing that than you do your own music. That sort of counts and it sort of doesn't count. You are within your realm but it's still not the same, and it's certainly not the same as what happens here in a place like Sweden, which brings up my second point about it, which is we, we are told over and over again that, you know, do what you love, and if you do what you love, it doesn't matter how much money you make, because the, the joy of doing should be enough, which, okay, eh, from an existential point of view, sure, right. But from a you know, world, living in the real world point of view, that's very demeaning and it's condescending 
And it's also bullshit. It's another way of people saying, well, we don't need to give you money for what you do. Especially now when everything, almost everything is accessible for free somehow. But even before the internet and all of that, that was still the case. You should just be happy that you're doing it. I saw this shift in uh, venues, clubs, you know, bars and things like that where you used to just simply get paid to play. And it, it, even if it was a small amount, the value added that you gave to that place of bringing live music in, original or not, was something worthy of getting paid. That shifted to the point where you often had to pay to play or you were lucky to get a cent of any kind. And the promotion that clubs used to do disappeared. You had to do your own promotion. You had to put your own time and money into that as well. And this, this, this kind of power over the decades shifted to where we, again, in order to stay sane, I guess, a lot of us artists say, well, that's just the way it is and that's the way it has to be. And we should feel proud that we're able to struggle and do this. And again, it's partly because the U.S. is so insular. It's partly because the state of the world in general and how things have shifted. And it's partly because we... We have, you know, continued to buy into this, like I said, as a way to stay sane. I think that Sweden may not be the best, I don't know, it may not be the best example, but I think it's one of the better examples of uh, a country that says the, the amount of money that your art makes is not where its, its value lies, but we still think you should get paid for doing what you do. And they give artists an opportunity to build their career to the point where they are making good money at this. And I think this is probably a good time to shift over to the second part of this, now that we're getting, you know, towards the end of our time, which is actually talking about this band, The Hives. And so they were given an opportunity, great example, to develop their music from a, from a young age and put out their first album, Barely Legal, in 1997 which was a decent enough success in Sweden that they had a career. They, they're an amazing live band, so they had that live career for sure and continued to develop their music. Probably weren't making even a ton of money in 97 or 98 or whenever, 99. Put out their second album, which I have right here for those of you watching. I'm so terrible at this weather, weather uh, person pointing thing. I always mix, mix it up. Yeah, right there. Veni Vidi Vicious which is how I discovered them. That was in the year 2000 when uh, we're at the beginning sort of of the garage rock revival when you had bands like the White Stripes and Jet and, and uh, a whole bunch of, you know, bands like that um, who were bringing that kind of raw punk-influenced rock back into the mainstream. And their song, Hate to Say I Told You So. And I don't remember where I discover them. I discovered them. I just know that I loved that song and the, the review that I read, I guess, so much that I bought this CD and I've never looked back. Since then, I've been a huge fan of theirs. And that's when they broke nationally, when that album came out. And they've, they've kept it going ever since. It's been almost 30 years since they started. They're still out there. I just looked on their website. They have, they're doing an international tour right now. Unfortunately, not coming anywhere near New York, but if I felt like taking a trip to Atlanta, you know, or I think Florida, I'm not sure, 
uh, I could go see them in the next couple of months. And uh, chances are they're probably working on putting out a new album at some point. They, what they did was they did the album in 2000, and then uh, a few years later they put out this next album, uh, which was uh, Tyrannosaurus Hives. And that had the song uh, Walk, Idiot, Walk, uh, which was a pretty big hit. And it mainly kind of just continued that uh, sound that they did with Vinny Vitti Vicious. And then they shifted, and I want to say this was by 2007. Um, they put out this album right here, which is the Black and White album. And... Well, you know, there was no giant, you know, well-known hit from their third album right here in the middle. I don't have Barely Legal. I have the second album, Vinny Vitti Vicious, the third album, Tyrannosaurus Hives, and then this fourth album here, the Black and White album, which contains the song Tick, Tick, Boom, which was in, oh, God, movies and TV shows and everywhere, basically. And interestingly enough, I read that this was the album that... They wanted to become a studio band. So prior to that, they recorded the way a lot of the live bands do, which is all together. And then they said, no, let's try it the way, you know, we want this experience. Let's do it one at a time and piece the songs together. And apparently, you know, critically, it was sort of hit or miss. But I think it's one of those albums that is kind of um, underappreciated. And I remember, I think, loving that album as much as Vinny Vitti Vicious. And then, as you know, in 2011, for whatever reason, I think it was because of my phone, I stopped buying CDs. And so I don't have their next album on CD, which is also the last album they've officially released in 2012, which is called Lex Hives. Uh, but they decided to go back to recording as a live band for that one and, and loved it, etc., etc. And apparently it was so well-received and they were, I guess, they still had enough like cachet here in the States that for that album, uh, and I guess it was a coinciding of, of, uh, of this artist's other you know, new material, they opened for Pink, which if you know Pink well enough, you're like, oh yeah, A, she would totally do that. She would ask the Hives to open for them, and that's freaking awesome. And B, musically, there's actually some crossover there. There are certain things that Pink does that definitely, you know, stem from this kind of music. And, and if you don't know the Hives, let me clue you in real quick. They have kind of punk origins. You can hear that on Barely Legal. But as they developed even their second album, they found a way to do what I would call uh, almost controlled punk, where the energy of punk and the, and the dynamics and the, and the vocals and all of that and the way the guitars are, drums, all of it is completely there, 100% there. But the way they structure the songs and how they pull it all together, it's honestly, I think it's a very almost Swedish thing in that all the bands I even mentioned before, many of them were doing reflections of music from other parts of the world almost quite often, almost always, the United States. And they would do it in a way where they were like, well, we're going to take what you do and do it in, in, you know, in our way and somehow still maintain that original spirit, really you know, having captured the spirit of whatever kind of music it is they were doing, but so just well-structured. 
And that's, I think, one, one of the reasons I love them, because they tow that line. And I would say that in terms of their recorded material, they're even able to capture their live spirit better than uh, some of my other favorite bands, Green Day, Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, who are all bands that you know kick ass live and have also kicked ass on recording, um, and in many, many cases, we're able to capture that, that live feel on recording. But I think in terms of the most consistent capture of that, the hives beat all of them. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think I'm exaggerating that, I would suggest starting with this album right here, Vinny Vitty Vicious, and, and see if you agree or not. And as always, of course, you know, comment below. Uh, and have continued past that. They released a bunch of singles uh, after 2012, some for movies or some as compilations for other things. Uh, their latest single was 2019, Good Samaritan. When you listen to it, you what I the, the impression I got was you can hear more development having happened, but there's still just 100% hives. And the funny thing is when they did Lex Hives in 2012, the the one of the dudes there, I think it was uh, Howlin' Peliomquist, the lead singer, said uh, what we wanted to do was a was a Hives tribute album, and what they meant was to kind of get away from the studio type recording and then again recapture that kind of live spirit that they have for their previous albums, and that's what Lex Hives was. Um, and you know, hey, start with Vinny Vicious, but I recommend going to any of those other you know, albums. And, uh, you know, as always, how did that influence what I do? If you've listened to anything I do, you know that I'm all over the place and that's by design and that's by passion. There's too many kinds of music that I love, but, you know, it it took me a few years to really develop the kind of know-how, I guess, and, and, uh, abandon to be able to capture that same kind of punk feel on any of the recordings that I've done. And I think two perfect uh, examples of that spirit that absolutely was influenced by the Hives uh, are a recent song of mine uh, released on uh, my band Rex's latest album, Synergy for the Weird, called Three More Minutes. I guarantee you, you listen to that song back to back with something from the Hives, you'll, you'll, you'll you'll hear the similarities. Even though when I wrote it and recorded it, I actually hadn't even been thinking of the hives, and that just shows you how it sunk in to the stuff that I do. Or an older Rex song from the band Parts and Labor, Beautiful Love, absolutely has that same spirit. Uh, and, uh, you know, as always, I love for you to click those links and listen to those songs or look them up. I've given you that info. You can look them up anywhere else you want to listen to them because they're everywhere. Uh, and see what you think. Uh, tell me what you think of those songs. Tell me what you think of the hives in general or anything I've said about this band, about Sweden, about the differences in the countries, about whether or not uh, arts are supported or how much they're supported. I, I want to hear all of your opinions. Do you, know other, do you know other artists that you think deserve that kind of recognition that they're not getting because they haven't gotten recognition yet? That, that insane catch-22 that we all have to deal with, especially here. I, I, I want to... Do you believe that... that the only good art that exists comes from struggle, that you have to suffer, that you have to pay a certain amount of dues in order to be worthy of success in any, in any form. 
I want to know uh, any of your opinions on this because as always my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for spending your time with me and I'll talk to you next week. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.